of reconciliation, I acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. I pay my respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island peoples today. I'd particularly like to acknowledge the Minjin country here where I am in, in Brisbane and I'd also like to acknowledge the Yuan Walbunga country on the south coast of New South Wales. Welcome to Totally Lit, the podcast celebrating reading, writing and creating literature. I'm your host Kai Garvey, thank you for listening. I have a very special guest with me today, the wonderful Julie Jansen, the author of Madaka, the River Serpent. Julie is a Burra woman of Darug Aboriginal nation. Julie's career as a playwright began when she wrote and directed plays in remote Australian Northern Territory Aboriginal communities. She is now a novelist and award-winning poet. Her historical novel Benevolence was shortlisted for the Barbara Jeffress Award and nominated for the NIB and the Voss Awards. She is co-recipient of the Ujuru Nunical Poetry Prize 2016 and winner of the Judith Wright Poetry Prize 2019. Her fellowships include Developing Writers Fellowship, Australia Council, Asia Link Literature Residencies, Indonesia, Tyrone Guthrie Writing Residency, Ireland Varuna Fellowships and Australia Council BR Whiting Residency, Rome. Now Maduka the River Serpent is about Auntie June. She's the proud owner of a TAFE certificate three in investigative services. It took her 30 hours to complete online. Now she has set up her own private investigation service, Yanakiri Investigative Services, confidentiality guaranteed. When environmental activist Tomo suddenly goes missing and the police ignore the case, Auntie June takes it upon herself to uncover the secrets surrounding her nephew, Tomo's disappearance. Corruption, commercial cotton farmers, bikies, racism, water theft and unreliable local police. Auntie June is really up against it. Lies and corruption are hiding the truth from reaching the surface and the Murray-Darling River is running out of water. Auntie June may be out of her depths but nothing will stop her fighting for her people and her land. Maduka the River Serpent is a striking novel about family and resistance from writer and playwright Julie Jansen. I hope you enjoy our chat. Julie Jansen, welcome to Totally Lit. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Great opportunity. I'm very excited to talk to you about your work, Maduka the River Serpent. I love crime novels, so I'm very excited that that you're a crime writer. Can you tell me a bit about the book? Well, I'm really, I'm not a crime writer, actually. So that's why it's a bit kind of extraordinary that I wrote it, really. Um, in the past, I've written either social history type novels and plays. And uh, my most successful novel to this point has been Benevolence, which is a his- historical novel about an Aboriginal girl on the Hawkesbury River. But after I'd written that novel, I just needed a break from history. It's quite exhausting doing a lot of research. It's very time consuming. And um, I just thought, look, I'll write something that's a bit easier. How about I try 
uh, writing a, a, a social history type novel based on a play that I'd written years ago called Gunjis, uh, which I wrote after a period in my life when I lived along the Darling River out, uh, out west of New South Wales. So I pulled out that play and decided to turn it into a novel and then about halfway through writing it after about a year or two of working on it, it came to me that it was actually, it would make a great crime novel. So within six months, I turned it into a crime novel. Amazing. And now previously you've had some self-published works um, and now you're moving into traditional publishing. How's the experience been? Um, how it, has it been different for you? Well, I was, uh, I'd already had a, quite a good career as a playwright for um, 20 years and had 10 plays on professionally. But then my plays just stopped getting performed, even though I was, one of the plays was um, shortlisted for the Patrick White and I just couldn't get productions. And I was so kind of heartbroken because I wasn't ready to give up writing. No, uh, I thought, well, I'll try novels. It must be so much easier. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> And so when I'd written the first novel, The Crocodile Hotel, I just hoped that I'd find a publisher. And like pretty, actually, to tell you the truth, like every novel I've ever written, rejected by every mainstream publisher on the eastern side of Australia. And if it wasn't for Western Australia, I wouldn't be published at all. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, the first two uh, that I wrote were self-published. And... Um, I'm really glad that I did. I, I know that I know a lot of beginner writers and they get nervous about that prospect, but it's a great way to get your work out there. And even if it's only a small number of readers, you do get some responses and and uh, it just encourages you to, to write the next book. Yeah. And what's been the difference in, did you feel like you had more control when you were self-publishing or have you felt that you still had input in in this new process with traditional publishing? Well, I, I'm, I've become rather attached to having a really good editor. Mm. Uh, and even when I was self-publishing, certainly by the second novel I wrote, which I self-published as well, um, bringing on board an editor, a prop, a really good professional editor, and they're, they're expensive, can cost you anything between three and five thousand dollars. You know, and that's not even for a full edit. Um, but really, it's. It's it, it's been really worth it for me. A, a really good editor brings in another eye, and um, on your work uh, to help you see things that you can't see yourself. And so um, I had about four editors when Magabala decided to take on Benevolence, mm -hmm. and it was like having your teeth pulled out. It was terrible. <laughs> it was just about two editors too many, I think. I think it very much got over-edited, actually. Uh, now, now that I'm, I'm getting a, a certain degree of confidence that I can get published, uh, I, I will fight fairly hard for the novel I'm working on at the moment, which is another historical novel, for it not to be over-edited um, and try it, you know, yeah. Now, originally you were writing plays, which you've mentioned. How, yeah. did, you, how did that begin? How did you find yourself as a playwright? Well, I've, I've often been asked the question, you know, have you always wanted to be a writer? Well, the answer to that is no. Uh, when I was a child, I was a very creative child and living in a quite kind of loud, raucous, and in Dad's case, alcoholic-infused environment. And um, I spent a lot of time in my room. I was lucky to have a room. My brothers had to share. And I would paint 
posters and paintings and draw and sew and make puppets and uh, had this huge inner creative world. Oh. I wasn't that much supported by my school life because I just went to the local public high school and they didn't have any drama or theatre or anything like that. It was a pretty basic school. But there was one wonderful art teacher who was a puppet maker. Oh. And working with him in my last years at school, I, I learned to make some fantastic marionettes. And also I started to write poetry, but um, when my dad died prematurely, when he was only, I was only 18, I just stopped writing poetry, and I actually didn't write another poem until about three or four years ago. Um, oh, okay. So yeah. that had a big, big impact on you yeah. creatively. Yeah, I just somehow or other, I, I wrote one big poem for dad for his funeral, and I was so upset I couldn't even read it. Somebody else read it badly. And um, after that, I thought, I, I just don't want to write anymore. But, uh, look, I came into writing because I, I was a teacher and I was working with Aboriginal students uh, up in the Northern Territory and then went on to work with many groups of Aboriginal students in Sydney when I returned from the Northern Territory. And I often taught uh, things like... Um, well, just self-confidence and public speaking, and I also taught a lot of drama to give people confidence and to also introduce them to the wonderful array of, of Aboriginal literature that's out there, you know, playwrights like, you know, Bobby Merritt or Jack Davis or Ava Johnson, and I would use those plays for the students to get the confidence to be reading aloud. Uh, but um, some of the girls used to crave to want to apply to go to NIDA, and NIDA was full of kind of 20-year-old nymphettes with blonde hair and blue eyes, you know, who, you know, graduated from Frencham or somewhere. And the, my Aboriginal students didn't stand at hope in hell of, of competing with them. But they were so determined that I decided to write some monologues for them that were appropriate so that they could apply it. They never got into NIDA, you know. But uh, writing those monologues began me thinking, oh, you know, there is still room. Because I was thinking, oh, there's lots of Aboriginal playwrights but not many writing good roles for women. So I started writing plays with um, Aboriginal women right in the centre as the protagonist. I still like to do that today. All my novels have got an Aboriginal woman as a protagonist, or I did write one novel that had a, a young white girl as a protagonist. But, um, yeah, putting women where they belong, right in the centre. Nice. <laughs> so you're really using your work to give back to your community. Yeah. Um, yeah, oh, that's definitely. amazing. And celebrate, especially this novel, Maduka, the River Serpent. Uh, I'd written quite a few books where I had young women as the protagonists, and I thought, you know, Julie, what's the matter with you? You know, look in the mirror. You know, you're a <laughs> and, uh, and all the wonderful, extraordinary, mature Aboriginal women that I've worked with through my life uh, and know, and some, some as kind of sisters and aunties and really good friends, like lifetime friends, you know, lifetime. And I thought I'm going to celebrate them, you know. I'm going to celebrate that tremendous tenacity to pull their community together and to be at the heart of their community, to be real Indigenous aunties. And uh, so that's why Maduka the River Serpent, um, I brought to life Auntie June, you know, private yep. detective. Yeah, Yeah, I love Auntie June. She seems like a strong woman because not, ev not everyone just thinks of going and, and becoming an investigator. Like that's well, a, a private detective, really? Well, it, it, at first I thought, no, this is a ridiculous premise and, uh, uh, because I'd already begun to construct this story about s some murders on the 
on the Darling River and, uh, and the murdering of the river. The death of the river is at the heart of the novel. That's the thematic concern that I'm most concerned about, especially in, in uh, 2021 when the river completely dried up and it was full of dead fish. And I went out on this long journey along the river and visited towns like Wilcannia where there was no water to drink and you'd go into the local shop and the only water you could get would be a litre bottle of yellow and, you know, black and yellow labelled water. It was $6.95 for a bottle. Oh, wow. And everybody living in that community, you know, 99% are Aboriginal, um, were living on benefits or very small amount of work in the rural industry because it was a drought and there was no work. And uh, they couldn't afford to drink water. They, you know, couldn't afford to have a drink, let alone bath the baby in clean water. Mm. Uh, the water was disgusting. It was, what, what the water was was coming from bores and it was full of salt and sulphur. I got incredibly angry and I wanted to write about what happens when a woman gets angry about those kind of things. And so my premise about Auntie June being a detective, I thought, well, I'll just Google TAFE courses and see if there's a TAFE course, you know, to prepare someone to be a private detective. And sure enough, there is. <laughs> three online TAFE in investigative services and then get your private investigate a license for about a hundred dollars and I thought go June she's done it online she know? can do it <laughs> uh, so there's lots of themes like you're championing women and you're championing the the land what yeah. what's the this the message in in this book that you you would most like your readers to take away well I think there's a, there's a couple of layers of messages the prime one is that thematic concern about what we do to our environment and what we are doing in a period of climate change when there's such urgency. I was horrified the other day to hear the statistic that Australia is already 1.47 degrees hotter now than we were in 1910. Wow. So who cares who goes to, to COP and, and fights for 1.5? 1, 1. We're already there. We're already there at 1.5. And it's a disaster for the environment. It's a disaster for every single animal. I mean, I live on the south coast here, and we saw what has, has been been suggested. A billion animals were burnt to death in those fires. Such a now, tragedy. there's nothing normal, nothing normal about that. And, I, you know, I go out bush here a lot, and there's wallaroos and kangaroos. I haven't seen a wallaroo since the fire. Oh, wow. I haven't, I haven't seen the glossy black cockatoos. Uh, a lot of species seem to have disappeared or down to such small endangered numbers that they're at risk of becoming extinct in this area. And I just, my heart just breaks. I just don't think human beings have got the right to make species extinct, mm. you know, not to mention all the, the, the human costs, as I said about places like Wilcannia with no water to drink. So, yeah, yeah I'm concerned about all that. But I'm also concerned about... Uh, incarceration rates for Indigenous people and particularly concerned about uh, black deaths in custody. Mm, no, yeah. that's, that, I've recently been doing some training at my work um, and there's a module around that kind of thing and it's such an eye-opener because I'm a fairly middle-class white Australian woman to, to not really realise that that sort of thing is going on. Like, it, it's quite shocking. Yeah. Um, and from from my point of view, I find it very surprising, except for that it's actually happening. So <laughs> yeah. it's just yeah. just appalling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what, a higher incarceration rate than any other uh, people of any other racial background in Australia, 
and the terrible treatment by at the hands of police. And look, I'm not saying all police are racist. There's some extraordinary police officers out there who do great things for communities and works with, with them and there's Aboriginal police and I take my hat off to them, you know, and I acknowledge that. But um, the story that I wrote told a different story. Mm. Yeah. And what, what impact do you think the writing about those issues will have? Do you, do you think that people, it will open people's eyes? Well, I think if people pick it up thinking, oh, oh, a crime novel, great, you know, I love crime novels, and if that's, they may be disappointed to find there's so much more. <laughs> that um, I, I had to study a lot of crime novels. I really like Sarah Paretsky, for instance, who's an American feminist crime writer. And um, I don't seem to enjoy male crime writers very much. I don't know what's the matter with me, but um, I, I do enjoy crime writer, you know, crime writing when it's from a female point of view, and uh, it's got a strong female protagonist as a detective. I, I, you know, I feel I feel empowered when I read that, even if there aren't really many of them. You know, I'd like to think there are lots, and um, uh, I just think. Um, a crime novel is the kind of book that a person will read if they see a novel and it looks like it's a worthy social theme. Uh, they're less inclined to want to read it. Yep. You know, less inclined to want to read a historical novel about Aboriginal people on a river. Oh yes, that's interesting, but I haven't got time. I'd much rather read, you know, Iris Murdoch or you know a few more crime novels. So I was kind of looking for that readership where I can slip in a whole lot of information about environmental concerns and issues like death in custody in the hope that I can get people to read this type of material who wouldn't normally read it. Yeah. And did you find with the editing and publishing process, were you reined in in any way with what you, the messages you wanted to share? Actually, I've got a wonderful story about that. The book was being rejected um, under, it was under a different name. It was called uh, This River of Bones. And uh, my editor had sent it out to a number of publishers here on the East Coast and everyone just went, no, 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 no. And I thought, oh, he, this is familiar. God, here I go again. And it takes a long time to write a novel. It can take two, three years. You know. And so it's a lot of work. When you, don't, you, you do it with no money. Yeah. You, know, you, you just got to kind of, just kind of scrape along, however you scrape along. And, um, and then I, one day I was just feeling a bit kind of depressed about it. I thought, oh, I'll write something else. I hate putting things in the drawer. I had to put a couple of plays in the drawer. And it breaks my heart because they take this, they involve so much time. And, uh, and I just saw, I, I googled, uh, which publishers take unsolicited manuscripts. The University of West Australian Press popped up. And I thought, oh, okay, well, you know, why not? So I sent them an email, which is the polite thing to do. Would you like to read, you know, three chapters of? You know, very formal. You know, there's a real standard way of approaching this. And uh, they wrote back and said, yeah, you know, all right, we'll send us a couple of chapters and we'll have a look. So um, I wrote, it was Eleanor Hurt was the publisher there at the time, and uh, and Kate Pickard. And uh, so I sent them a th three chapters and they wrote back and said, uh, send us the rest, oh, you know, almost immediately. Oh, exciting. Very good. Yeah, so I sent the rest and it was finished. It was quite polished. Um, I'd had a good editor, Kate Galsworthy, who'd been terrific, and I sent it to them. And about um, two or three weeks later, you're not supposed to do this. So anyone who's listening, who's a, you know, you're not supposed to contact them. You're supposed to leave them alone for at least three months. Gotta follow the I, rules. Yes, yeah, they're the rules. 
And I just sent a little email. You're not supposed to, so don't take my advice, anyone who's listening. I said, you know, um, do you have, have any interest in this because I want to send it elsewhere? Because I've been quite open with them that, it, um, you know, that it had been rejected by other publishers. And, and, uh, and they wrote back and said, we're going to make you an offer. Oh. And I went, oh, God, I've never heard those words That's before. So <laughs> and this wasn't even with my agent, uh, you know, because she hadn't been very successful. So I kind of left her out of the picture. And uh, and they said they're going to offer me X amount of money. It's not very much money. It's about $8,000, which is up, which seemed to me at the time, having had no money at all from my books for quite a while, to be rather a large amount of money. And I, I immediately said yes. <laughs> and um, and anyway, so then I got onto the agent, blah, 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 and uh, she was very pleased. And then um, I wrote to them and said, well, I suppose you'll be wanting to give me an editor and, you know, but... but Magabala had spent like three to at least three years editing my novel before they published and I suppose and I expected they'd be doing that and uh, Eleanor Hurt wrote back and said an editor oh no we think it's perfect just as it is lovely (laughs) (laughs) I felt like bursting into tears she said of course it'll need a very strong copy edit and the copy edit was, was a terrific copy edit because it picked up all sorts of kind of mistakes, basically, little problems about time and things that I should have picked up myself, but I didn't. And so I was absolutely thrilled. So, um, uh, you know, because it had had a lot of editing, yeah. you know, yeah. it already. And uh, anyway, and then, it, you know, lo and behold, they published it fairly quickly and they wanted me to change the the uh, the title mm-hmm. and I wasn't too sure about that at first but I mentioned the word Maduka the River Serpent in the text and they picked that out with a whole lot of other things I mentioned from the text sent me a long list and it was right at the top and I looked at it and I thought oh yeah that's a good title and they said I wrote back and said yes I, I, I like Maduka the River Serpent and they said oh great it was our favorite too <laughs> so but they were get, they were they were going to let me choose from a list of you know ten or twenty suggestions. Yeah. Anyway, there now go. there's been um, a few um, indigenous crime TV series that have been on oh, yeah. recently, so like True Colours and Mystery Road. Oh. Do you think there's potential for Maduka to to go that oh, way? People ask me that. I know Erica uh, Glynn's work, um, True Colours, which I thought was utterly fantastic. It took her about five years to get that up. Mm. Um, the, uh, the Mystery Road series has, has had a, a better run, an easier run. I don't know whether it's because they're men or what. I don't know. It's not because the work's any better. I thought True Colours was actually superior myself. I thought it was much more true to the, the stories out west. But the different stories, different ways of telling them. Look, I, I don't know. I don't get excited when people say that sort of thing to me. I think, mm, okay. Uh, but um, I've pitched many times my novels to, um, you know, to producers and nothing ever comes of it. But, but yeah. Whatever. If it happens, it happens. I don't plant it, it out there me. in the universe for you. <laughs> yeah, the book, the book lives, and that makes me yes. happy. Yeah. And um, do you think that there's an indigenous crime genre evolving? Possibly. I I would like to see more women have a go at it. Um, I've been encouraging a couple of my indigenous friends to have a go at crime genre when they're just beginning their next novels. Um, and they say, oh, why, why should I? And I said, well, because you can write the same social justice book that you want to write, but if you give it a crime focus, uh, and it does mean you have to study the genre. I mean, there are certain, like, you know, crime genres, start with a body, you know, I mean, just 
There's certain rules, you know, certain tropes. You know, maybe the investigator falls in love with one of the baddies. You know, there's all sorts of tropes which you need to follow in, in crime writing. And uh, But I would hope that uh, more Indigenous writers would take it up. Hopefully yeah. there's some people out there listening, thinking about writing a crime <laughs> novel. <laughs> maybe we can start a movement. I think it would be amazing. It doesn't, it doesn't mean you've sold out if you're an Indigenous writer because Indigenous writers that I know of, majority of them, have this extremely high level of social conscious and giving back to their mob yes. and, and making things better for our people. That's the whole reason to do it. You know, it's just, that's, that's the reason. But it doesn't mean you can't do it within a crime genre. Yeah. I know, um, not not exactly the same, but I, I've got some, because I write picture books, um, and my first picture book is coming out which is just a fun little book but my original intention was to be writing because I have sons with autism and I wanted to share stories ab about yeah. them and I'm like oh my first book has not been what I intended <laughs> but it's giving me the platform that I will be able to share the message yeah. so um, yeah, yeah so I'm sort of heading in a direction that I hadn't yeah thought I would be heading with my writing but um yeah, yeah um, but sometimes you need to yeah, embrace what is on trend as well to, to have a voice. Sure. sure, but then you've got to let out your true, where your heart yes. is. You know, uh, if you're not writing something that you really believe in, I d don't see the point. I certainly don't write for money because there isn't no. any. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, there certainly isn't any money in it, but there's certainly lots of heart and love in it. Um, yeah, that's right. You know, you know, unless you've sold millions, you're not going to make any money. Not really. No, yeah, no. that's not what it's about. But it's nice to get your money back if you self-publish. Yes. I self-publish. I really do push. I've got still got about six boxes of my first book sitting down in the garage, and my husband threatening to build a retaining wall over them. <laughs> You might have to go out to some markets or something and uh, oh, see if you can get some, move some of them. I just give them away. Anyway. <laughs> so I have a few questions that are just questions about you as a person to share with our uh, listeners. Yes. Um, so did you have a favourite book growing up? Well, as a little, little child, you know, um, there was one called uh, Bimbi, I think it was, and it was a story about... Um, a little boy in uh, an, an Arabic country who had a donkey, and it was a photographic book, and how the little boy lived with this sheikh who had a son who was really spoiled, and the son wanted to cut the ears off the donkey. And, and it was all in photographs, black and white photographs. And it, it turned out, you know, a good end in the it end. The donkey ears. was made. But it had a tremendous impact on me, the fact that this little boy had to fight to save this donkey. And, I, and even as a little girl, I was always attracted to people who looked really different to me. My best friend at school was when I was only tiny, five, six, seven, was a young girl called um, Meryl, Meryl Raymond. And she was um, from Fiji. And she's really dark, with, you know, curly dark hair. And I was really blonde and we'd sit together. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, you know, and your, or, my, or a Jewish friend, or you know, and my friend who I used to go to, you know, ride on a bike with. She'd had polio, and she had a 
disabled leg and wore a brace. But I was always attracted to people who were a, a little bit, you know, a, very different. And, and uh, yeah. Um, and is there a book that you're reading right now? Well, I've just finished reading um, Jock Saron's book, The Settlement, which is about the um, the Aboriginal settlement in Tasmania. Uh, where people were taken to Flinders Island at the end of the, the Black Wars. Uh, it's a very hard read. I found it, I couldn't quite get to the end. It, I found it very distressing. And um, yeah, and yet I didn't find Truganini, uh, I've forgotten the author's name, written by historian Grace something. Um, even though the material was incredibly hard to read, I didn't find it distressing for some reason. Um, yeah, but I do like to read Aboriginal history, um, and I read um, historical novels of all sorts. But um, I, I, I read uh, a lot of classics as well. You know, I read you know uh, Charlotte Bronte and Jane Austen and Charles Dickens. I love Charles Dickens. I love his characters. They're so vivid. So I write these really vivid, kind of outrageous characters. And, you know, an editor or a publisher will say, my gosh, these characters are outrageous. And I go, yes, and I'm not changing them. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you watch The Australian Wars when that was on TV recently? I watched um, two episodes. Look, because I've been a, worked as a historian for many years with Peter Reid, um, I, I do know that history very, very well. And um, and I think she did a great job, uh, Rachel Perkins. So she's an extraordinary filmmaker. Uh, Australia's very lucky to have her. Um, and, and I found it confronting and it's the kind of program we all need to see. Mm. And yeah. how effective do you think it is in educating those that don't aren't really aware of that history. I think it's it's a really good way of doing it. I'm not that keen on documentaries uh, and reenactments um, because I'm so deeply creative. Uh, I prefer something like True Colours, yep. you know, or uh, Mystery Road. I prefer to get the story across within a uh, within characters and scenarios and something that really engages you. Um, uh, that's just a for me, it's just the particular genres that, that I enjoy. I like I like a good story, and I still think you can get the same information across, but if you put it in a story, more people will listen. Oh, so you mm. think something like that um, in a fictionalised version might be effective? I think, well, I think that there's room for all of it, you know. A lot of people watch that show, and, and it, for them it was a complete eye-opener. They had no idea. Oh, I found it very and, interesting. Um, yeah, and it can be extremely confronting. And I, I just think Australia is changing so much in terms of its acceptance that we need a voice to Parliament, and we and we need the um, the Uluru Statement of the Heart to be accepted. And um, and I just think everything that adds to people's awareness, and also a Truth and Reconciliation Commission like they've got down in Victoria, allow people who've had their lives destroyed by having their children taken or their, you know, their great-great-grandparents killed in a massacre, allow people to stand up and speak their heart and let's listen to them and let's give them reparation. I, it's, you know, it's happened in so many places all over the world, in Canada and in South Africa, and, and um, it's happening in Victoria. I don't see why Australia can't take that on board. And now just a question about what advice would you give yourself if you could go back to the beginning of your writing journey? It's not a hard question. Um, 
I don't think I would have done anything any different. I, I never liked the idea of just sitting down in front of a computer or even with a notebook and just writing when I was young. It, it was all about working with groups of people, as it turned out, always Aboriginal people, because that's the kind of work I always did, and creating work together in a group and listening to everybody's voice and then creating a piece of theatre out of that or doing a, a grand performance outdoors. Or, and, um, and I love that collaborative nature of theatre. I love the collaboration. I love working. And then when I moved on to professional theatre, working with actors like Justine Saunders and Lillian Crombie and, and David Kennedy and all brilliant actors, that are, are, you know, people like um, Uncle um, Jimmy Little too, who worked as an actor as well. And um, I loved that aspect of it. So when it came to, as I got older and I decided I was going to try novel writing, I had no idea it was going to be so lonely. It you know? is lonely. I'm, I'm a gregarious person. I've been a teacher all my life and had you know, three children. I've got three grandchildren. And um, I really love being amongst people. And if you're going to be a writer, you kind of got to give that away if you're going to write novels or histories. You, you lock yourself in a room and you've got to do huge long hours of just sitting there with you and your characters. But if you've got a really good imagination, my characters kind of keep me company. I mean, it sounds sounds silly, but they do, you know. And do you have a message for any young upcoming Indigenous women who are thinking about writing? Do you have a message for them? Yeah, just really do it. I met a whole lot of young Indigenous, both male and female um, writers, or would-be writers, down at Fanorn First Nations Australian Writers Network um, Summit down in, in Adelaide recently. And, uh, and a lot of them, I said, and what are you working on? They said, oh, I've written one or two poems. And I kind of, <laughs> I just step into auntie shoes and I say, well, that's not good <laughs> enough. You, don't tell me you've written one or two poems. And the, the reason is always the same. They say, look, I've got to make a living. Or, you know, I look after my mum or, you know, I've got a child or, you know, you've got to feed yourself. And uh, my attitude to that is, well, well, yes, you know, I came from a really poor family. I started working when I was 13. And, and I, you know, you just do it. You just, you've got to find the time to write. You must get the words out there on the page because otherwise there's no point telling people you've got a really good idea for a story. You've got to sit you know, turn off the television, turn off your darn phone and and do the work. And the more you write, the better you get. Yes. Mm. And the more courses you do, the better. You have to do courses, even though they're expensive sometimes. Do them online. I, I did a lot of courses for New South Wales Write, and uh, and they were great. It used to be called the Writing Centre. And I, they were terrific courses and met fantastic writers. And uh, and I even did one called The Year of the Novel, which I only did about two-thirds of the year. But um, you get try to get support from and from other writers, like form little writing groups, even if it's just we meet once a week for two hours at a cafe, we take our laptops with us, we sit down and we all write. And at the end of it, we all read something back. Encouraging each other, it's really important. And those connections are so valuable as well when you're connecting with other authors. It, it's... Yeah. Um, Having a mentor or just other friends to encourage you is, is really Definitely. amazing. Yeah, someone you can pick up the phone and, and you know and say, oh, they want me to do this to the novel, and the person says, oh, well, you know, all right, or you no, know, fight that, or you know, someone who actually cares, because most people, you know, your family, etc., they don't give a hoot. <laughs> They've got their own. 
<laughs> you know, people ask, what do your children think of your novels? I think, I don't think they've read them. <laughs> my, my sons are very unimpressed with my writing career. <laughs> but I, I think that example that where you Googled to find the right kind of publisher for your book, I think that's the same with there's grants and there's opportunities and mentorships yeah. out there. Yeah. You, you just need to Google yeah. them. And those things can really help you if, if you are struggling financially there's those opportunities there to help you. Well, create New South Wales from the New South Wales government and also the Australia Council. Without the Australia Council, I would not be a writer because in the early days, I got grants to go on um, residencies or a grant to put a play on, even to, even a small grant. You know, you get hundred, you get ten thousand dollars is enough to put on a little play downstairs Belvoir Street or something. I mean, just. Uh, you keep on asking, keep applying, and make sure you're really professional the way you do it. You know, get advice about how to do it because there is a certain uh, a certain talent in writing an application. But people must persevere. Yeah. I've had uh, friends say, "Oh, they knocked me back for the money for blah blah." And I said, "Well, so what? Rework that application and put it in and ask for more somewhere else." <laughs> it sounds like you are <laughs> unstoppable, Julie. It's amazing to hear. Well, I, uh, yeah. I'm, live down here in the country now and I love it because it's so quiet I don't have to drive through any traffic or for a while there I was doing welcome to country out at Macquarie University for Watamadagal country which is where my I grew up and where my dad was living even though he didn't come from there originally and um, it used to take me nearly two hours in the morning to go out to the uni to talk for half an hour and two hours to get back and I only lived bloody 30 kilometres away a bumper to bumper traffic, and I got to the point of thinking, I, I, I can't, I can't do this. I don't want to spend my life sitting in a car, mm. you know. In the country, here, I want to go to the doctors, five minutes away. I want to go to the hospitals, five minutes. Supermarket, five minutes. Right. I, I actually lived in Sydney for 12 years, and that's how I've ended up in Brisbane now. Because there was a point one day when I was on the M4. I was just like, there's got to be more to life than this. <laughs> I completely understand. <laughs> and it's so beautiful. The air is so clean and the beach is so beautiful. And and, and and people are great. You invite them around for dinner and they all arrive at the door and one's got a bowl of fresh mulberries and someone else has baked a pie and someone else has got a bunch of flowers from their garden. Someone else has got some eggs. And I just think, God, I love country people. You're living the dream. That's amazing. <laughs> So what is next for you once once this book is released? Is is there more well, Maduka, coming out? Maduka's out, Maduka's out and yep. about. It's uh, it's it's already into reprint after less than a month. Congratulations! That's so exciting. Yeah, it's into it's uh, into reprint. So I'm really pleased. So it's it's kind of going like a little bit of a rocket, really, which really fills me with a huge smile because I you, you don't expect anything really. You can't. You yeah. can't because you have no idea. If something's going to hit the right note, or it's it's not, you know, you just got to hope. And um, but I've already uh, finished the first major draft of the um, of, of the um, sequel to Benevolence. Oh, um, exciting! Okay. And it's called Compassion, and uh, it's written in first person, and um, there's a lot of me in the the one the sequel. And uh, I've already sent it off to Magabala to have a look at, and. Um, See how we go. And do you yeah. think that uh, Auntie June will have any more adventures 
Well, I didn't think she would, but the but University of West Australian Press, Kate, Kate um, Picard, said, oh, we've chosen the cover because we think it's good for a series. And I went, what? <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> no, she said, I don't think you've finished with Artie June yet. And I thought, oh, I don't know about that. And then I thought, hold on. I've always been passionate about fighting the Adani mine up in Queensland, you know, the big coal mine. It's going to destroy the Great Barrier Reef when one of those big coal ships turns over. And uh, the young men and women who live up there near Adani, the young Aboriginal people who have been living there for two years trying to stop Adani. And I thought, oh, maybe Auntie June could go up there and mm. do a bit of investigating around You might have a, a wonderful platform here to share more of those issues that you want to share with Australians. Yeah, we'll see. Amazing. We'll see. But... Uh, I'd have to watch out for my legals. I don't want to end up in court. No, no we don't want that because we'd like you to be writing. <laughs> I just I just changed the names. I just the, the book I've just written, Compassion. I wrote about the Australian Agricultural Company, which the Queen owns, mm-hmm. huge part of New South Wales. The land was originally taken from Warramai people and Awakable people, lots of massacres, etc. And I thought, ah, be careful, because the company still exists. It's on the stock exchange. So I changed the Mm. name. I call it New South Wales Agriculture. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Julie. I've really enjoyed having a chat with you and hearing about your work. Um, uh, Best of luck. I hope that there's even another reprint for you in the future. Thank you. you. And I, I send my greetings to all your listeners and uh, tell them don't give up never give up keep on writing and i tell you what poems are great mm. write poems if you if you're a busy mother or you're in a you know you've got a, a job that takes all your time poetry doesn't take that long mm. and yeah you can build up a body of work with little sections of poems right yeah. right in the cracks right in the cracks even 10 minutes a day you know Commit yourself to 10 minutes a day. See how much you've got at the end of a year. You'd be amazed. Amazing. Thank you so much, Julie. Okay. Thank you. Writing stories for children can seem like a very simple task, but there is a skill involved in bringing memorable characters and their worlds to life. Anyone can write a picture book, but not everyone can write a picture book that becomes a child's favourite bedtime story. The best children's picture books fire up their imaginations, evoke emotion, and stay within their memories forever. Authors Online was created to provide aspiring authors the knowledge, skills and resources they need to become a published children's book author. Our extensive industry knowledge will be shared with you and provide you with the basic principles behind writing for children, picture book publishing guidelines and updates on the current market and publishing environment. And as a special offer for Totally Lit listeners, if you go to authorsonline.com.au, you can apply the discount code of LIT20, that's lit two zero to access discount content at authorsonline.com.au. Totally Lit is an independent podcast. You can help support us to continue to chat with wonderful Australian creatives by leaving a review on iTunes or sharing our socials with your friends. You can also make a contribution at www.buymeacoffee.com backslash totallylit. This will also help with equipment and podcasting platform fees. 
I love to interact with our listeners, so please feel free to say hello either by email or social media. You can email me at totallylitpodcast at gmail.com or you can find me on Facebook, Insta, LinkedIn and Twitter. I haven't tried Mastodon yet and I'm not brave enough, but I'll, I'll try and not TikTok yet either. I've also recently created a group on Facebook called Totally Lit Writing Community. It's a space to continue the conversation and share your writing successes, events, launches and latest projects. Please jump into the group and say hello. We're growing by the day. Thank you for listening to Totally Lit and don't forget to go out into the world to read, write, create, ignite.